Kassat Podcast Network. We are excited to welcome Derek Reed here to the show today. Derek is the president and founder of the Nevada Peer Support Network. He's also the battalion chief with Truckee Meadows Fire and Rescue and has served in the fire and EMS industry for the last 25 years. Thanks so much for joining us today, Derek. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So as we get started, what experiences led you to establish the Nevada Peer Support Network? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, we had a, um, a suicide in our department in, um, in 2019, and we just stood up our peer support program. Uh, which was an integral part in kind of the recovery of that, even though that they were all affected as well. But they understood the concept of peer support. And we had other teams that were either establishing or were established um, to come and assist us with that postvention. Because of that, we, um, that event was very difficult in the sense that we didn't know who to reach out to. There were resources out there. We just didn't know who to call. Um, we ended up calling the IFF, the International Association of Firefighters, uh, more or less the union. Uh, they deployed a peer support team and um, they came in and they hit every station and every person to sit down at the peer level and um, just, you know, say whatever bubbled up. Um, understand, understanding that model, I started participating in that as well um, uh, with the IFF. But I remember asking myself, you know, I don't even know who to call. Uh, I was the lead of the peer support team. Um, it was up in, incumbent upon me to know most of the resources and I didn't. Um, so I mentioned that in our, one of our, our postvention deals. And I remember one of the guys that, from another department is like, ah, you know, pump the brakes on that. Well, I think it was a month later, Henderson had a suicide. And I remember calling down to him and saying, hey, if there's anything we can do to assist you, please let us know. And he said something on day three, uh, the tone in his voice and the words that he said were the exact same thing. And I felt it. And that was, I don't even know what our resources are. Um, so at that moment, I, I scheduled the day. I sent maybe 15 emails out saying, we need to network. We need to find out who other department, what they have, you know, and that includes law enforcement, EMS, uh, firefighters, um, whatever scope that was, we, we'd figure that out. And um, we had a meeting and it turned into, it was 15 emails. It turned into about 90 people showing up, wanting to figure out how we can network and and get all those resources together. And that concept was a website. And that's what you're seeing now with uh, the, the Nevada Peer Support uh, website that we have with the resources. So that's how that sparked that fire. And, and honestly, it's a brush fire going right now. Uh, even more so in the future, we have a vision and, um, and we'll go until, you know, everybody knows what's out there. Vetted resources, that is. So you're a, you're a really new organization and um, you mentioned you have a vision. What is your big vision for the Nevada Peer Support Network? So um, 501c3, December 19. And our vision now is a resiliency center. Uh, it, we had, um, and that resiliency center is very um, comprehensive. It, it includes 
you know, inclusivity is one of our values and we stick strongly to that. That means all you know, law enforcement, all first responders from the dispatcher being the first responder to the coroner being the last responder and everybody in between that's hospital professionals that's um, and also military. This resiliency center, basically, if you can kind of take a walk with me in your mind that um, it would be a larger facility where you had two large rooms, one that would be a classroom and potentially um, places that you can have classes like yoga, any kind of, um, you know, physical or mental, uh, you know, we're talking, you know, breathing exercise, meditation, any stress reducing exercise that could be a value to a first responder that um, is basically run and redline. And certain times of the year, certain times of our timeline, um, each first responder branch has experienced something crazy over the last two years. Um, it's either a movement that is anti-law law enforcement, it's either a pandemic when you're talking hospital professionals. Last year's wildland season, I think we, you, it, it, all I can say, it was crazy. We lost equipment. And thank God we didn't lose manpower. We didn't have any line of duty deaths due to that that uh, that event. And the military, um, you know, frequently we we go to war and stay at war. And those those men and women that service the armed forces uh, deploy and they come back, and um, it's no different. They see horrific things that no one should ever have to see. Uh, that so that's one room, and then another room would be for support groups, uh, debriefings, uh, family marriage uh, support groups. Um, there's a lot of meat on the bone when it comes to that too. The support groups, IOPs, um, it can be, and then basically we would staff it with um, at least one or two administrative people up front. They'd walk through the door, they would meet somebody that was very culturally competent and also knowing of what the resources are. Um, they would be, depending on the size of the resiliency center, uh, at least three culturally competent trauma-informed clinicians on staff. That if anybody walked into the doors, they can do one-on-ones, they can do group, um, and they would be there for the first responders. And we would choose them, boots on the ground, not an administrative overarching agency or company. Um, and, and so that's phase one, and that would be like a commercial building. Phase two and three seems to be coming really fast because of the backing that we have with sponsorship. We may bypass phase one altogether. We might go right into um, phase two or three, and that would be a campus. And you would see much more uh, you would have your, your gym, you would have everything I just mentioned, and then you would have branches and arms out. Uh, you have an area to, um, you know, a lot of health and wellness that surrounds first responders is knowing that you belong to a tribe. Um, and that tribe is what strengthens us until we retire. And then you, you're not part of that tribe anymore. Um, the center courtyard of this area could be walking paths, you know, it can be water features. It could be um, a centralized area where there's a barbecue where we can come together and, and cohabitate because that's what we're built for is connection. Um, that's a very brief synopsis of what the Resiliency Center was about. So I know I'm chewing up time, but there's a lot of meat on the bone of what our vision is, and it's currently happening right now. 
That's so exciting, Derek. It's an incredible vision. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, obviously so needed. I mean, most people, I, I think if you asked about, you know, the struggles and, and especially around mental health and PTSD that first responders face, I mean, it seems pretty obvious that people know that that's something that, that first responders and their families deal with. But then if you ask about resources, like you said, I, I imagine it's hard to find those. And so I'm I'm more curious about I mean with all these resources who is or do you know who's kind of accessing these resources is it a lot of first responders themselves is it family members or kind of all around some of our so to go back to the resource pool the Nevada Peer Support Network resource pool is deep but it's also stratified diversified we made sure that there were everything from your basic peer supporter um, that's trained but it's boots on the ground which is an amazing trusting kind of someone there to open the door to the other resources. You have chaplains for spiritual wellness. You have licensed clinicians that are culturally competent, trauma-informed, that we vet, we talk to, we know them, we know what their specialties are. Uh, we even know who to send somebody that might be a little new agey versus maybe, you know, this person's a little redneck, we need to find them somebody a little <laughs> bit more conservative. So we choose these resources on purpose and you know we we do that very carefully but it is very encompassing and very uh and very broad and still even then um not one counselor is a one fit one size fits all it's a relationship and we guide those participants that that uh reach out for help and um and say, hey, you know what? Don't be disappointed if you run into your first clinician and it's a mess. You know, you know, you get three strikes. You know, swing if it's a mess, we'll find you somebody else. But don't give up. And that's where that that peer support comes in and um, and tries to. So the data, um, I think you're kind of referring to data. How do we know that it's effective? What's our measurement? What's our um, what's our measuring stick to know that if we're actually doing good? We get a lot of feedback. We get a lot of people that actually, when we first started, was somewhat awkward because when we started peer support and explained the intent of what peer support is and the why, and this is what we do, and there's confidentiality, um, you know, there's NRSs that protect that. Um, I, I remember standing, in, you know, in a in a in a bar one time and this guy's standing next to me that i work with and he's not really saying anything but it's a guy that i don't normally talk to and he was just kind of oddly quiet and about five minutes came back and then he dropped the question hey you know i, I started seeing a counselor and i'm like really awesome you know and then we started talking normalizing stuff that we would never talk about maybe even six seven years ago so the normalization, the reduction of stigma, which is noted as the biggest thing that stops somebody from getting help. Um, to answer a little bit more of your question, clinicians. I've talked to clinicians. They said, I can't tell you, but I can tell you what you have done is you, you've already saved lives. But we can't quantify that because mm -hmm. uh, of the confidentiality thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I love that you you hit that point, because that was one of the thoughts I had is by this kind of being birthed out of your need for resources, because we don't, I mean, the thing about whether it's addiction or mental health, 
or, or counseling through someone who's who's experienced death by suicide. Like you don't know what you need until you need it, right? And so I love that it birthed out of that place of like, I don't know what resources, but I think that benefit of of getting out and telling people about the resources, now it normalizes it's okay to experience these things. In fact, it's it's probably more typical to experience some of the the mental health struggles as a first responder than maybe not. And so, you know, and, and I liked your your three strikes analogy because I've always heard it as a negative and it's the first time you said it where you said you get three strikes, like don't walk out after your first strike, like try again, right? And I, I love that piece and, and, and normalizing it. And uh, I think that's such a great thing that you're doing. Yeah, and then you get you get three outs too. So we, you know, we, we don't say three strikes and uh, yeah, go ahead and give up, hit the bottle again. We're like, oh, wait a minute, you get two more outs. We, there's always something around the corner that we, we're not going to give up on people. So, Derek, for anyone who doesn't know about peer support, can you describe for us what a peer does, what the training's like, how do you even get involved in being a peer? I'm glad you asked that. Um, we have people in the state that, that belong to departments that still don't understand the difference between SISM and peer support. Uh, SISM is more of a response model. When something bad happens, we call in a SISM team, we sit around in a circle, we have this 13-point structured way that we're going to work our way around the room and, and, you know, and talk. That's been, even at the beginning of my career, 25 years ago, I've been involved in those and I don't necessarily like them. Uh, peer support, it's more proactive. It's more, hey, let's, uh, let's identify the problem before it becomes a problem. Uh, let's have difficult conversations. And then if somebody does reach out or you're acting as a peer support, you're doing more listening than you are injecting solutions. And I'll tell you what, for a first responder, uh, my paramed- when I was down in LA, when I went to paramedic school, I had one minute to tell my preceptor what was wrong with this patient and what are you going to do for them? One minute. So we've been trained our whole careers to solve the problem and solve it quick. Peer support completely flipped upside down. It is let them talk, let those silence, you know, those, those, those little pauses and conversation float. Um, they're processing and teaching peer supporters that, you know, Sometimes just listening or a cup of coffee, you know, solves so many problems just because they're, you're helping and allowing them that space to verbalize what's on their mind to get it out. And sometimes they come up, most of the times they come up with their own solutions, you know, from a clinical standpoint, um, I don't know any counselor, good ones that uh, give you all the answers. It's a process. Those answers are embedded within you, not somebody that's, you know, getting paid to, to give you answers. Um, so that's helpful. And then after listening, 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 okay, what you're saying is this, we, you know, we talk and we call it reflective listening, mirroring, um, all the strategies of almost like negotiations, if you will, um, just to try to find out or at least lead that person to what, 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 what is bothering you the most today? Yeah, you have all these issues, but what led to it? Oh, you're doing this. Is that helpful? Is that how's that going for you? Um, but you build that trust on the front end, so you can ask these questions that might be otherwise intrusive. What peer support is not, 
it is not to enable a coworker to, you know, well, just go to your, go to your room and sleep it off. Um, no, you know, that's, that's not right because they become, um, now a danger to the rest of their crew. So that's enabling that can actually be, you know, a, a huge risk to themselves and also, um, to their crews. So we don't look at it that way. We look at it as, Hey, you know, we'll help you. We'll listen to you. We'll walk with you through the darkness. We'll walk you to who we feel that it would be a, a relevant, warm handoff, a counselor. You have questions about spirituality? We'll get you a chaplain. Um, you, you're completely falling off the wagon and wheels are coming off. Uh, there's treatment centers and we can, we can, we've done it. I've flown across the country with a member once and I had two hours notice. I had stuff to do that day, but that member became the priority at that time. I jumped on the plane, flew to Maryland with that employee, and then flew back the very next morning. I think I was on the plane. It, it seemed like two days straight. I don't know. Right. Who? So I got a question because I love that. So you and and I I love the specifics of how this works within first responders. Cause you think of peers and you keep saying like the terms boots on the ground and folks that get it. And I think there's a difference to a lot of times we talk about peer support and we talk about specific issues. So an addiction or, or substance use disorder recovery. But I, I think there's such an importance of people who get what it's like to be a first responder and the experiences. So where do you get the, the folks that become the, the peers? Are they active? Um, it, as first responders, or are these folks that are retired? Like, how how does that path kind of work? All 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 the above. Uh, to be relevant to the first twenty five percent of the department that's been hired in the last five years, um, you need people that uh, went through the academy with them, understood how difficult that was, went through probation, knowing what it is to clean toilets, you know, twice a day or whatever, and. Um, you need those mid-level guys that are in the heyday of their career, but uh, some stuff at home isn't going really well and they're struggling. Um, the ones that are approaching retirement, questioning their purpose, not knowing what to do, um, engaging in work to the point to where it's unhealthy because that's all they know. Um, extending their, their retirement because the statistics of firefighters in particular, uh, survival rate post-retirement is not good. Um, for whatever reason, it's either cancer or they fall into the bottle, they lose their sense of purpose, they lose their tribe. We need those people on the other side also to pull them through that tunnel of, hey, I know what it felt like when, when I retired and I had to find a hobby. Fishing and hunting, you can only do so much. You got to find some other purpose in life. And that's where depression sets in. If you don't have a sense of purpose, you get depressed and then suicides on the menu. Derek, you mentioned that the last two years really have been um, just a tremendous amount of added stress to just even a stressful job, just with the events that have happened over the last couple of years. Um, I'm curious, what do you see as the biggest need for first responders and frontline workers today? Well, that's an interesting question because the first part of that question is, yes, it has been stressful. Second part is the problems are the same as they were before we even came into a pandemic. 
Um, we, we still have people that are struggling with, um, you know, the, the, the you know, I, this is almost, I've said this so many times, it, it, it seems like saying it again, and that's that suicide has outpaced line of duty deaths for at least the last six years. And we haven't even, we don't even have all that data. So, you know, what that means is, is we're more dangerous to ourselves and our jobs that are very dynamic and high risk. Um, that's crazy. What are the reasons? Um, there is one person that has collected that data uh, as much as he possibly could. He made it his mission in life. And it turns out that family and relationships float to the top of that, that completed suicide or that death by suicide ranking. It's not PTSD. It's family relations, you know, and that has to, a lot to do with uh, what you said at the very beginning, and that's that reintegration process. You go, you go to work and you're in an, you know, in, in an honor society. You come back home, you're in a pride society. You get treated different when you've got your cape on and your, your armor, whether you're carrying a gun or wearing turnouts. Uh, people, for the most part, respect us and see us as heroes. When we come home, we're just mom, dad, or, you know, the significant other. Um, that transition is not as easy as it seems. It's hard for a lot of people. There, there's a lot of meat on that bone, but I, I, I'm not, trust me. It, there's a lot of other things that lead to that kind of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's really what our... Um, has been the common thread and the focus of this podcast is supporting families of first responders and communication and strong relationships continues to raise to the top as being most important. Um, And so I'm curious, what do you see as the biggest need for families? The need, so integration within kind of... uh, you know, there's even a lot of leadership books out there that will tell you that, um, you know, to make a stronger organization is to kind of overlap the family into that a little bit. Um, our department, after our suicide, we were told that we had a hundred or a 10% or we were 10 times more likely to have a secondary suicide because we had one. Um, so we went to work, we had family, uh, we, we had a counselor come in and do a wives group where we had, I believe, 20 wives that came in, which was pretty significant and um, talked about the warrior culture uh, to kind of loop the wives into this is this is what they do. And this is this is what their day looks like. They might not come home and want to tell you everything that they saw, you know, like we talked about vicarious trauma um, or maybe um, I just spoke to a dispatcher the other day and he said that he grew up in a first responder family the mom and dad used to sit around the table and talk about all the nasty things they saw Um, but they were offloading that's a healthy thing but when we go home uh, this particular dispatcher was married to somebody that didn't like those stories so guess who he has to offload his stuff nobody you know and he's a dispatcher so a lot of his stories never get completed that 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 loop is never tied in most of the time. If they hear a baby is not breathing um, and first responders arrive on scene and then dispatch hangs up, he doesn't know what the result of that was. 
could have been a seizure, could have been mom freaking out because she thought he couldn't breathe. But in his mind, he's thinking, wow, you know, I had a, had a dead kid today. This is crazy. And processing that without getting feedback. Um, we did a couples deal where we brought in a chaplain and he gave us, uh, he did a really good job. He took tables, you put tablecloths and candles up and candy in the middle. And he scheduled it at like five o'clock in the afternoon to where spouses would, you know, come off work. They'd come down, they'd go over the four pillars of resiliency and then gave them time afterwards to go and have dinner uh, to try to reintegrate the family in that sense. Um, a lot of the things that you're going to see at Valor on the 20th and 21st is warrior culture, the honor versus pride culture, the reintegration rituals that warriors of ancient times used to do. We don't do what they, they actually did a better job in reintegrating into the family than we did, which made a stronger family unit. Um, and Josh and Philip are going to talk about that. Philip um, from Valor, he's actually an anthropologist, and some of his stories that I've heard on podcasts, um, even the even these small little villages in South America do it better than we do. We were never taught in our schooling, even when I went to school all the way up to modern day, there's nothing in there that talks about how to build your own resilience, maintain your mental wellness, um, and know what to do when you get off track. When you X, Y, Z and go, I'm off track. It, they don't even tell you how to identify that within yourself. Josh uh, Wenner from Valerie does a retreat and he talks about those action signals and what to do when you see those action signals. Managing your sympathetic, uh, sympathetic nervous system. There's practices out there if you, you know, can't breathe or you're breathing shout there's there's tools for this but first responders were never taught this and then if they're not taught right they're going to reject it because that's touchy-feely so it has to be framed right um, one thing that i've said in all the lectures that i've given for peer support is the best thing you can do with peer support when you bring it to your organization is don't make it weird make it weird it's not about giving out hugs if, if it was, I'm telling you, it don't make it weird. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but it, you bring up such a good point too, with, and I think we've seen like like Heather said over and over, where families talk about all the logistics that go into managing a first responder home to sleep schedules and all of that. But the thing that's that's more nuanced and difficult is is communicating what to talk about when to talk about how to talk about it um and when to there and that may vary there's times that you want to talk and you don't want to talk and so that kind of emotional mental health piece is is something that is really hard to navigate and i love that this has turned from not just resources so when i when i saw this on the agenda i thought we were just going to talk about a resource website and so that's why i'm like blown away because i love that it's even though it's resources and connecting people to resources, it's normalizing kind of taking care of your whole self. But also, I, I think, and I love how you're talking about this, it's it's really supporting the whole family, right? And and, and supporting not just the, the individual that's the first responder, but the whole family 
because that's going to make everybody better. And it, it, I believe, and not to be too over dramatic, maybe I am being a little bit, but I love, I think that ripples out to our community. I really do. And, and hopefully that normalization that we're seeing with our first responders that you're doing is it will ripple out to our community in some other ways. I'm glad you captured that last point. I was going to follow up with that, but you, you nailed it. And if we're more mentally in our game when we're at work, um, that that's going to, that is going to ripple to the community. Our, our end user will get the best of who we are and they'll get the human side of who we are. And when we go home, when we learn what those rituals are, whether it's um, the, the, I can't remember which culture, but some warriors weren't even allowed back in the tribe until they, until they did something to reintegrate. And that in some cultures, it was writing calligraphy. Some it had to do with, you know, making something that it was a completely different thing. So what it did is it got them out of who they were, got them back into who they are. So they don't come back the warrior, they come back and there's that intermediate area where they get reconnected to who they are. And then that makes them a more effective dad, the dog doesn't get kicked and the wife is happy. So this is what, this is why we're bringing in Valor and the Resiliency Center and Valor. This is all wellness stuff. This isn't sickness stuff. This is reframing what we haven't done right. Um, the result to that and putting wellness on the front end and teaching people what they should have been knowing all along. And that's take care of your brother and sister, um, meaning our coworkers, and know when they are offline by by knowing them in the first place and building trust on the front end. Knowing yourself and when you're offline and getting yourself doing something, whether that's playing the guitar, going to the gym. Um, there are many ways to get back online, but nobody knows that. No one taught them that. I, I talk a lot on campus about mental health, and one of the things we've been talking a lot about is is masculinity and mental health and and in these cultures and you're mentioning things like warrior and we we know from our history my brother's a uh is in the military now and we talk a lot about he has a real frustration and a soft heart for vietnam vets and and he has this thing where every time he sees somebody that's wearing a vietnam hat or or something i think we've talked about on this too he says thank you for your service and one of the things he says is we we when they came home, we didn't celebrate them. And so, and so there's research that shows the reason that drug use was high was not because of drug use in combat. It was because of the lack of acceptance and reintegration. And I think seeing that on, on a micro level, on a regular kind of daily level, every other day, every 48 hours or 96 hours, whatever the shift is, I think it's so important to talk about that reintegration and how that works for ritualistically for the family and the person and then also normalizing it's okay in, in these really kind of masculine cultures to use like you said don't make it weird use these these warrior talk but also it, it normalizes these things that don't always go hand in hand with that kind of masculine culture does that make sense i i just i love i'm astounded at at, at what you're doing at the program um and and completely on board 100 i love what, what everything you have going on here well, I appreciate it. And you, and you nailed it. And uh, we got to get out of the habit of asking our brothers and sisters, how you doing? 
because you know what you know what the res common response is to that, right? Fine. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. I'm good. Rather than that call sucked, and then leave some silence in between, or wow, I don't even know what to do with that. I've never seen anything like that before. Um, and being safe to make it a safe place to be vulnerable to say, hey, wow, I. That, that hit my top five. Um, and sometimes it's not even the trauma. Sometimes I had somebody tell me one time that that scene was so messed up. It didn't bother me because it didn't seem real. You know, that would be like a decapitation or something horrendous where you just go, well, that's not real. And that's not the traumatizing thing. The traumatizing thing is seeing some kid that broke his leg screaming trying, you know, because he's in so much pain and you have a child at home, the same age, you know, same hair color, um, you know, that's what, you know, puts us into a state of anxiety when we go home and our kid gets up on the couch and get down from there, you know, and it, it's real. It hits home. Mm -hmm. and, and people are more likely to check in on the really traumatizing ones. Mm -hmm. without really knowing the ones that hit home. And so normalizing that culture, I think of what you're talking about, how to check in and then also communicate. It sounds like you're saying communicate when it's difficult for us and normalizing that I think is so important. Yeah. And, and looking at vulnerability as a strength and not a weakness. We need to keep preaching that. It's like, hey, what's going to affect you isn't going to affect me. Fair enough. But if that bothers you, um, let's, let's get it out on the table. Let's talk about it. How'd you sleep last night? You know, what are you doing this weekend? Um, you know, these are questions that are living ideations, not suicidal ideation. So if they're living, then they're, they're, they're probably doing pretty well. It's an opener. It's not necessarily deep conversation, but if you know, you got a birthday coming up and you ask that person, Hey, what are you doing for your birthday? I'm just, I'm just going to stay at home. Hmm. That's, that's that may not be normal. It's isolation, um, and you know that that's that's not usually a good sign. Only one sign, but still worth investigating, right? That's good. Changing the culture more than sounds like as much as as everything else. The culture of checking in and looking for those things. I love it. Absolutely mm -hmm. love it. Don't make it weird. Make it sound manly. And there you we do have females in our occupation, but some of the females, I actually had talked, I talked to a female um, within my service branch that said that they felt that they had to be tougher because they were a female, that they did know that people looked at them as being more sensitive, which made them even combat something that would mess up even the most masculine person, man or woman. Um, because they felt that they had an expectation from their, their coworkers. And that would confirm a bias of some kind. So um, that makes, you know, women in certain service branches even harder for them to, to be vulnerable. That totally makes sense. Well, all I know is, is you, you have me on board. So whatever you need, <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> Let me know. I love what you're doing for our community, for our state um love any is can we put in just for the the podcast too just the the website is kind of one last final thing and anything else you want to add nope so the uh the website is uh, www 
nvpsn.org. And uh, like I said, you can find tons of resources there. It takes a little there, there's there's grief resources, there's resiliency grief resources, there's family, marriage resources, spiritual. It, it's somewhat of a deep dive. Peer support is very um, prominent on there. You go to peer support and uh, depending on what service branch you want, um, those peer support uh, teams are established. Some of them are, some of them are in development. COVID slowed us down for the training of that. Um, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And we'll have that in the notes as well and uh, in, the, in the podcast notes, the show notes. But thank you so much. Derek, for for everything you're doing and and for being on this today, and and hopefully people get some good some good connection and some resources out of this. Yeah, thank you so much, Derek. And I want to echo what Daniel said. Um, I'm I'm on board, and let me know how I can help as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Absolutely, and um, thank you for allowing me this platform to be able to spread that. Uh, you know, peer support doesn't have to be weird. And uh, come to Valor. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and I would be happy to send you to send out there. We're looking over 200 people so far, and I, I expect that to grow when we get closer. So there is two days. So you guys are welcome to attend either day or both days. Thanks, Sarah. Awesome. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cassat Conversations. We value and appreciate your time. Please share with us any comments, feedback, and ideas you have for future episodes. Please email us at learning at cassat.org. Please visit our webpage for additional information, show notes, and relevant topics at cassatondemand.org backslash conversations. This podcast has been brought to you by the Cassatt Podcast Network, located within the Center for the Application of Substance Abuse Technologies at the University of Nevada, Reno. For more podcasts, information, and resources, visit cassatt.org.